If I were God, I would. What would you do? If I were God, I would end all poverty. If I were God, I would end all pain. If I was God, I would get rid of war. If I were God, I would stop this drought. If I was God, I would I'd cure cancer. If, if I was God, I would get rid of inequality. If I was God, I would make sure there was no rich, lavish living and people just struggling for their daily, daily bread. What would you do if you were God? Do you know that each day you effectively tell God that you can run the world better than him? Do you know that? Every single day of your life, you effectively say to God, if I were God, I'd do this, especially when you're in pain, especially when you're in the valley, you're saying, God, I don't like this, and you know, I think you should change this, because you don't seem to be running this world very well at the moment. And it's really arrogance, isn't it? It's arrogance of us as creatures to, to even begin to think that we can tell God how he should be running his world. Well, Job has been offering God some top tips on how to run the universe. Over 37 chapters, Job has spoken many, many words, words without knowledge, words spoken as if he knew everything. God, you are not right. God, that is not fair. God, you don't hear me. Where are you, God? It was 1945 when Clement Attlee was elected as Prime Minister in the UK with a landslide victory. Apparently for the first six months of his rule, he received a letter every day from the same man by the name of Harold. And Harold was trying to tell the Prime Minister how he should run the country. Day after day after day, all this advice on what he should be doing. In one reply, Attlee wrote these words. A period of silence from you would now be most welcome. And that is chapters 38 to 42. God is saying to Job, Dear Job, thank you for your 20 chapters telling me how to run my world and suggesting you could do a better job. A period of silence from you would now be most welcome. And he could be saying to us here tonight, Dear church, thank you so much for constantly telling me or implying that I don't know what I'm doing in my world. Thank you for implying that I'm not in charge of your life and a period of silence from you would now be most welcome. See, tonight in these chapters, we are going to be humbled by God. We're going to be put in our place by God. Because when God speaks in the storm, we are made to feel about this big. And God is made to feel about this big. You ever been put in your place? I remember speaking very confidently and very boldly about something that I thought was right. And when I discovered what was really right, I was made to feel about this big. Well, God speaks to Job out of the storm, verse 1. And we don't know whether that was an audible, audible voice or an inward voice, but God often speaks in the storm, doesn't he? You know, Moses on the mountain Exodus Elijah in the whirlwind, Ezekiel in the strong wind, where God speaks in this storm and he puts Job in his place. He says in verse 3, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, Job, and you will answer me. Man up, Job. 
Let me plow you and plunder you with question after question after question. And just so you know, the answer to every question is, no, God, I was not there. And no, God, I did not know that. See, God speaks and Job is humbled. And as God speaks tonight, maybe you're going to be humbled. Maybe you're here tonight and you do need to be humbled by God. Because you think that you are this big and that God is this big. Job learned two lessons. Here's the first one. He was silenced by the awesomeness of God. He was silenced by the awesomeness of God. And I I use that word in its literal sense. He is awe-inspiring. Job saw God. What God does, he takes Job on a, a tour of the world in verse 4. He says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Job, were you there? Did you, did you design this world? Verse, verse 5, were you the surveyor that ensured the, the exact precision of my universe? Verse 6, were you the one that laid the cornerstone? Are you the builder of this world? No, Job, you were not. But I was. And Job, my, my creation, it is perfect and it is properly ordered. The morning stars shouted for joy. Praise God, they said. Or look at the sea. Look at the sea in this picture. He says, Job, were you there? Verse 8. Do you shut up the, the, the sea behind doors when it bursts forth from the womb? Verse 11. Do you say, this far sea and no farther? Job, are you, con- are you in control of the sea? That powerful, mighty sea that crashes against the cliffs. Do you control the sea, Job? No, you don't. But I do, says God. In verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning, that beautiful sunrise, do you ever say to the world, get up, world, time to wake up. Every day I do that. Do you ever do that, Job? No, of course you don't. Because you're just a creature. Verse 16, have you ever journeyed to the springs of the sea or or walked in the recess of the deep? Have you ever been to the centre of the universe, the deep, deep sense of the earth's surface? Have you ever been there, Job? Do you know what's down there? Because guess what, Job? I do because I made it. And yet you're arrogant enough to tell me what to do with my world. Look at the skies, verse 19. What's the way to the abode of light? Do you know, Job? Verse 21, surely you know, Joe, because you've lived so many years. You're, what, 40, 45 years old by now? You're so wise, aren't you, Job? Verse 22, have you ever entered the storehouses of the snow or, or seen the storehouses of the hail? Are you the one, Job, that opens and closes those houses? So you say, snow and hail. Do they obey you, Job? What about the rain, verse 25? Who cuts a channel for the the torrents of rain? Are you the one, Job, that gives that life-giving, refreshing rail? Come on, Job, tell me. Do you have the power to stop the drought? Look at the planets, verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Do, Do you know all the all the stars and all the planets by name, when they spin, how they move? Tell me, Job, come on, because you're so big, aren't you? You're so important. 
Verse 34, can you raise your voice to the clouds and say, rain? Or verse 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Tell me, Job, come on. And God is saying to Job, Job, you are surrounded by things that you do not understand and you do not control because you are not God. Job, if you are God, if you're as powerful as me, then I would happily leave the running of my world to you. But you're not, Job. You're just a creature. And God is saying, I am awesome. Awesome in power. Awesome to create. But I'm also awesome in my care. I love my creation. Minute by minute and hour by hour, I'm in control and care for my world. Verse 39, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? Are you the one that provides food and carcasses for these, these wild animals? Verse 39, chapter, chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the, the mountain goat gives birth or where the, the, the doe bears her form? Are you there? Do you see every newborn animal that enters the world? I do, says God. I know and I care. Verse 5. Do you let the wild donkey go free? Verse 8. It ranges the hills for its pastures and searches for any green things. I feed the wild donkey because I care. 39 verse 9, will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? This wild, scary, two-horned animal that is so ferocious, don't mess with him, says God, but I care for him. My favorite verses are verse 13 of chapter 39. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. Though they cannot compare with the wings and the feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot could crush them, that some wild animal might trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers, and she cares not that her labor was in vain. For God did not endow the ostrich with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. He's saying, look at the, the stupid ostrich. What a stupid bird it is. It is big with his big wings, but it can't fly. And it's so stupid enough to, to leave the eggs lying around where anyone could trample on them. But she can run. Oh boy, can she run faster than any horse, any rider. And God says, you know, if I created the ostrich for a purpose and for a reason, don't you think that I care for every part of my creation? And for you, Job? Do you give the horse its strength, verse 19? The, 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 the war horse, it's massively powerful. Do you care for that? What about the hawk in verse 26? Do you, do you care for the hawk that takes flight or spreads its wing? Do you care for the eagle that soars for its prey? Saying, God, I am awesome, says God. And I care. And I care for people. And I care for justice, says God. See, Job has been complaining about justice, hasn't he? There's a hint of biting sarcasm in chapter 40, verse 8. And God says to Job, okay, you think you are so wonderful, you have a go at running my world. Chapter 40, verse 10. Okay, Job, 
Adorn yourself with glory. Put on my royal robes. Here's my judge's wig. Come on, put them on, Job. Oh, you look so glorious. How majestic you look. Come on, Job, unleash the fury of your wrath. You bring down the proud. Have a go. You crush the wicked. You sort out all the wickedness in this world. Come on, Job. You keep telling me how wonderful you are. Come on, have a go. What? It's actually harder than you think. Job, I'm so glad you're here to help me because what would I do without you? See, Job doesn't have a clue, does he? Job is ignorant and Job is arrogant. Let me ask you, church, do you know anything about the approximately 10 million things that God is juggling his hand this very second? Do you know about the, the child in Africa digging for water right now? God does. Do you know about the animal being born over in the UK at this very moment? Because God does. Do you know about the woman in Hornsby who this very moment has been diagnosed with cancer? Because God does and he cares. And, and you know about this, this much of what's happening. About 0.0000001% of what's happening in the world right now. And yet we think we're so big, don't we? And our worldview is just what we can see. How dare we presume to tell God how to, how to run his world? God is far, 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 far greater and more powerful and more majestic and stronger and wider and higher and deeper than our little brains could ever, ever comprehend. And when you understand that, it's really quite humbling. When you've understood that you are actually this, this big and God is this, this big, it is so, so humbling. And like Job, we should be silenced before God. Chapter 40, verse 4, Job says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you, God? I put my hand to my mouth. Literally, I, I do this. I'll speak no more, he says. See, up until this point, Job has been acting like a, a, a know-it-all teenager. You ever met those teenagers that seem to be the experts on everything? And Job has finally been shut up. Not just humbled, he's been silenced. He says, I am not God, I do not know everything. I want to ask you, have you been silenced by God? Have you actually understood that, that God does not have to explain everything to you? Who are we to think that God owes us an explanation. Who are we to think that God ought to tell us everything for everything he does? I keep meeting Christians who, who treat God a bit like a, a private search engine, they, 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 like, they, like they Google God. You're in the valley, you're in pain, well, tap in your question and expect God to pop up the ten top answers. And it's arrogant. Sometimes in his kindness and his grace and his compassion, he does tell us. And sometimes he chooses not to. There are some things in this life and this world that we will not understand and we may never understand because we are not God. And that is humbling, isn't it? 
one of the people, one of the reasons that people don't like this book of Job is they say that Job doesn't get the solution to his problem. He does. A part of the solution is this, that he is silenced before God. He's humble before his God. To learn to say, I am not worthy, verse 4. To learn to say, God, you are truly awesome. Awesome in power. Awesome in creation. Awesome in care. Awesome in justice. You know everything. You care for everybody. As, as the children sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got our lives in his hands. And like a loving, caring father, he does know us. And when you've understood that, you do actually fall on your face in awe and reverence and humility and worship. So Job is silenced by God. Have you noticed that he hasn't actually said anything about God yet? He's understood how small he is, but he hasn't understood yet how big God is. That's our second point, submitting to the sovereignty of God. Here's the reality that our world is wonderful. God's world is beautiful. But it's brutal. It's a magnificent world, but it's a messed up world. The world that I see is a twisted world. And the beautiful sun can give us skin cancer. People cause pain. The beauty of sex has been twisted into abuse and pornography. And the wizardry of technology has led to mass destruction. And to answer questions of suffering with that simple statement, well, God is awesome, so just be silent before you. It doesn't quite cut it, does it? We've got to understand that God is not just awesome, but he's actually in control. He is sovereign over sin and sovereign over suffering and sovereign over evil and the devil and even death itself. It would be easy to read chapters 38 and 39 and have this this beautiful picture of of a Kuron calendar with beautiful creation. That's not it. You've got lightning and you've got thunder and you've got lions gnawing at carcasses. You've got eagles swooping down on their prey. And God is saying to us, it's a chaotic world, but I'm still in control. And you've got to understand these chapters with this this multi-layer. Yes, God is talking about his physical creation, but not just his physical creation. He's also talking about the spiritual world. So take the sea. Remember the picture of the sea crashing against the waves? And God's in control of the physical sea, yes. But sea in the Bible is always a picture of what? Of chaos, of evil. And just as God says to the physical sea, you can go that far but no farther, he says to evil in our world, you can go that far but no farther. Same with light and darkness. It's always a picture of of good and evil, order and disorder, and God's in control of that as well. I just need to ask you, is your God in control over everything? Is your God, your awesome God, in control of evil? Is he in control of sin and sickness and suffering and the devil and death? I know that we don't like this. I know that some would like to have this weak 
sickly view of God's sovereignty where there are some things that are kind of out of his knowledge. But where is the comfort in that? See, chapters 40 and 41 introduces these two bizarre creatures. 40 verse 15, this land beast called the, the behemoth, which God made along with creatures. Verse 16, what strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly, this, this super beast that is strong and powerful that no one can tame apart from God himself. In chapter 41, you introduce this sea creature called Leviathan. He says, can you pull in Leviathan with a fishhook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Are you going to treat Leviathan, this sea monster, like your pet dog that you, you lead around on a, on a leash and bring to your dinner party? Don't mess with Leviathan, says God. So you've got these two creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, but who are they? What are they? Let me do a quick walk through the Bible. Job 3, verse 8. Job says, May those who curse days curse the day of my birth, those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. Psalm 74 Talk about curbing the forces of darkness. You broke the heads of the monsters in the waves. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan. Isaiah 27 verse 1. In that day, the last day, the Lord will punish with his sword the great Leviathan, the gliding serpent. Leviathan, the coiling serpent. Or Revelation 12 verse 9. The great dragon Leviathan that ancient serpent called the devil who leads the whole world astray. See, God is not just talking about a, a super creature. He's actually talking about Satan. The devil, the serpent, the, the god of this world, the, the prince of darkness, the embodiment of evil and terror. Same with Behemoth. I could show you that he's talking about Death, the personification of death. And, and God is saying to Job an important truth. He's saying, I'm in control of death. I'm in control of the devil. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your God is in control of evil? He's in control of Satan. He's in control of death. What God says to Job is, look, Yes, Leviathan is terrifying. You don't mess with him. You cannot restrain him. He masquerades so subtly. He desperately tries to be me. He's the ruler of this world. He's a prince of power. He's supernaturally powerful. You can't tame him, but I can. I can because he's just a creature. He's on my leash. I'm always telling Satan how far he can go and no further. Do you remember that from chapter 1 and 2? That God said to Satan, if you consider my servant Job, you can go this far but no further. And that's the most comforting truth of all, isn't it? That nothing that ever happens to you, God is not aware of, not control of. And we'd like to know why. Why was she struck with cancer? Why did his wife leave him? 
Why is he still retrenched? Why did that friend cause me so much pain? Why, why, why? We don't know why. But we do know that God's in control of it. And he will not allow Satan to tempt us beyond what we can bear. And when you've grasped that, then you respond like Job does in chapter 42. I know that you, God, can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You're in control, God, not me. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Do you have that category for God in your theology, things too wonderful for you to know? You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, God. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, when you see God, you realize that you are unworthy, that you are wrong, and you repent and you submit and you say, God, you are God and I am not. I love verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And Job is saying, you know what, God? All of my life, all of my life I've offered you sacrifices and I I read the scriptures, I knew about you. I could have passed a theology exam. I could have taught other people about you, God. My ears had heard about you, but I hadn't seen you. My eyes hadn't really seen you. I had no personal relationship with you. That's the difference between a religious person and a Christian, isn't it? Lots of religious people have heard about God and they know facts about God and they can sit in church and sing the songs and even go to Bible study. But unless your eyes have seen God, unless you've experienced God and you're filled with that awe and reverence and wonder, and then you can say, God really is enough. I don't understand what's happening. I don't know why, but I know that God's enough. I know he's awesome. I know he is sovereign. And my eyes have seen him. I was chatting to somebody at church a few weeks ago. And they told me they'd become a Christian. I said, that's amazing. When did that happen? They said, oh, about last week. I looked a bit confused. I said, but... You've been at church for the past nine years and you've even led connect groups. Oh yeah, I had a head full of knowledge. I had a head full of knowledge, but I hadn't really met Jesus. And our eyes have been opened. Praise God for that. So to ask you, have you seen God? Not just heard about God, have you seen God? Have you had your eyes opened to how awesome, majestic, sovereign, glorious he really is? Have you seen that he's not just in control of evil or in control of the devil, he's actually conquered them? He's actually reigning victorious over them? See, come forward a few hundred years from Job, you find another man who suffered terribly. Not not a skin disease, he had his skin stripped from his back because they flogged him. Not sores on his feet, he had nails through his feet. Not on an ash heap, but hanging on a cross. And I hope you've seen this, that the cross of Jesus Christ is not just about forgiveness of sins. It is that. But it's more than that. 
And it's not just about that a transaction has taken place so that you stand right with God. It is that, but it's more than that. And it's not just that God's wrath has been turned away. It is that, but it's more than that. Because at the cross of Calvary, Jesus conquered. Victory was won. There was victory over evil and victory over Satan and victory over suffering and victory over death because the tomb was empty. And maybe you've never seen that before. Maybe you've been in church year after year after year and you understand the transaction of the cross. You understand forgiveness, but you don't understand victory. Do you know here today that you stand victorious because of the cross? That evil has no power of you, that Satan has no power of you, that death does not hold you, that you are free. That you are free, victorious because of Jesus. Those words from Colossians chapter 2 are amazing. Look at the last words. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, that is Satan, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Stick it to you, Satan. You have no power of us now. We stand victorious. We sing, where, O oh, death, is your sting? There's no sting in death because Jesus has power over death. I'll ask you again, have you seen that Jesus? Not just heard about it, but have you experienced him and seen him and humbled yourself before him? Job needed humbling. And can I humbly suggest that we need humbling? Because many of us are so arrogant and so proud and so ignorant. Who are we to tell God how to run his world? What he asks of us is to humble ourselves, to sit at the foot of the cross and say, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy, but you are wonderful and you are mighty.